Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. Or, I mean, as we normally like to say around here, what is good, Ambush? And welcome. Welcome to this week's episode of the Desert Tiger Podcast here with me, your host on the DTP. I am Colton G. And this week on Desert Tiger, I am joined by Raina Krangle. As we talk all about her latest single, My Beautiful Deer. We're also going to talk about a project that she has upcoming entitled Headbangers. We're going to give you a little bit more of an introduction, a description into exactly who Reyna is very soon here. But there's a few things we need to go ahead and take care of first. So why don't we go ahead and do that? First off on the list, we finally got in hats and tubes over at ilovedtp.com. That is right, folks. That is right. The hats with the traditional, that original Desert Tiger logo. We got the toques with that sick Awaken Tiger logo as well. And let me tell you, those toques are looking sweet. I might have to get that logo on some hats as well. Might have to look into that ASAP, ASAP. I've already got a little bit of interest if that's something you might be interested in. Let me know, let me know. Otherwise, you can check out what else is new, what else is good over at I Love DTP. And of course, when you place an order, you're gonna get a handwritten thank you note from me, plus a few other goodies thrown into your order as well. So it's always worthwhile. As well, we also have to go ahead and shout out Audible, because Audible is offering you guys the Ambush one free audiobook along with a 30 day trial subscription of the Audible service. That is right. And you can check it on out over at audibletrial.com slash desert tiger. All right, you guys, let's pounce right on into this one. Yeah. Raised in a musical family, crafting songs has always been an important aspect in Raina Krangle's life. The singer-songwriter has released an album of children's songs dedicated to her son, and has also released an album of more personal material entitled Solstice in 2012. More recently, though, Raina has learned just how far Music can reach and just how much it can heal, as a recent at-work injury left this teacher with a mild traumatic brain injury. Using music therapy, yoga, nature walks, journaling, and meditation, as well as studying music's effects on the brain, Raina began to craft new songs to help her express this healing process as well as her dreams, which is exactly where the inspiration for her latest single, My Beautiful Dear, comes from. An homage to her parents' 50-plus year relationship, the track began from a sleep-driven vision that left Arena scrambling to remember as much as she possibly could. A wonderfully built story that will move not just your heart, but maybe even your tear ducts. My Beautiful Dear is the first track from Raina Krangle's upcoming eight-song project, Headbangers, a musical recovery from mild traumatic brain injury, which will actually include other treasures and memories to help the, connect the listener with her journey of healing, and we're going to be jumping into exactly what some of those treasures and memories are. We're going to be jumping into some details about headbangers. We're going to be jumping into all the details about Raina Krangle's latest single, My Beautiful Dear. We're even going to be playing it for you right away. Of course, we're going to be taking a journey through Raina's musical career, including even the children's musical album that was inspired by her son, asking her to write a song about a dinosaur. So why don't you guys say that we go ahead and jump into this one? 
by giving Reyna's latest single a spin for you guys right now. And I know it's going to move you. This is My Beautiful Dear. Hoping you'd give me a chance I thank our parents We met because of them Cause I fell for you then My beautiful dear I'll love you till the Desert Tiger Podcast. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. It's a beautiful sunny morning out here in British Columbia. How are you? Oh, you're so lucky. I love BC. I go out like every summer I go out there. Nice. Staying at 39 days of July on the island there. I love I love that BC, but it's cloudy here. Ah. Cloudy here today, but it's still nice. It's still nice. There's the birds, you know. That's good. That's good. It's <laughs> yeah. still spring, right? Yes, very much. So that's always nice. <laughs> You're keeping healthy otherwise and everything as well? 
All right. I'm, I like to hear that. I'm very glad to hear that. <laughs> How about you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm out on the, uh, doing a little bit of essential work on the side during the week, but I mean, I'm staying healthy too, so I'm, I'm That's keeping good. happy. What do you do on the side? Um, I help a friend of mine with a, uh, satellite internet company that he runs. So um, there's a lot oh, yeah. of kids out in, on farms out in the bush that can't really get connected to internet outside of that, that need to get connected to school. So, yeah, oh, that's true. Yeah. It's, it's not equal for everybody. That's for sure. In terms of being connected. Mm-hmm. Definitely not. Well, that's good. You're doing that. That's good work. Mm-hmm. Well, no worries, no worries. As the listeners know, we're already here with Raina Krangle, and we're going to be jumping into her new single, My Beautiful Dear, and a little bit of the new album she's going to be releasing soon as well. But before we get there, you guys always know there's a journey. There's a uh, journey through the jungle. you got to put your paws through the sand to get to your destination. And we're going to get through that with Arena here today. So, let's get into it. I read that you grew up in a very musical-based family, but you yourself, when did you actually begin to perform, and when did you begin to pick up the guitar and begin songwriting yourself? Well, I, I probably was singing since I was five. If you, I don't know if you listened at all to the kids' CD, but when my, when my papa passed away, we found these old tapes of, uh, all the grandkids singing actually at Passover theaters. He used to record us all. And I was probably five years old and they, he picked the song tomorrow from Annie. So that's the last song that's on the kids CD. And it's me singing when I was about six years old with my papa and I, I couldn't get the notes very well. And uh, he corrects me and then I kind of take over now. So that was, that was probably the first time I was really performing was, you know, at family events and things like that. And it was kind of competitive because all of us cousins, we all sang. But we were all nervous as soon as he would hit that little mini tape recorder and start tape recording us. (laughs) Kind of a a funny tradition, but a nice one to have found. So, um, but then after that, I guess um, my sister played piano. So, you know, even though I was already singing in the house and stuff, my sister played piano and it was, around the time of Phil Collins Against All Odds, and she learned that song. So I decided I was going to enter a talent show at um, in elementary school. And I guess she was in grade six, so I must have been in grade four. And I sang that song, Against All Odds, by Phil Collins, which is kind of a weird song for a little kid to sing, but I guess that's what was popular then. So I sang that, and, uh, <laughs> and I remember everybody clapping, and I got terrified by the clapping, and I hid behind the piano, and I did not come out. <laughs> that was my first performance. <laughs> <It> was... <laughs> uh, so did you transition into doing more performances later on? Did you get a little more comfortable oh, yeah, on yeah. stage? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I got a little more comfortable. Well, then after that, I, I went to camps every summer. So at camp, we did musicals every summer. So, you know, I was always trying out for the play, but I was still scared to, per, like, to actually audition. So I didn't always get, I didn't get the leads. I would get other parts, but I wouldn't get the leads. And my cousin would always get the leads. <laughs> and she was great. And, and she's a fantastic singer, but I was always, like, too nervous to audition properly. So... But I, I enjoyed doing the musicals. I did musicals um, in high school, too. I did Little Shop of Horrors. And then I was always singing. And uh, I remember I had picked up the guitar. I actually bought a guitar from a friend for $50. And it came in a really, like, really crappy old thin case. Uh, but it had, you know, what can you say for $50? It was a lovely Yamaha. <laughs> And I had a song, like a chord chart, so I could see all the chords. And when I bought it, my dad taught me Four Strong Winds on a Sunday morning. And I sat the entire day, uh, probably eight hours, until I could switch chords and I couldn't move my neck anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But I could switch the chords. (laughs) And I played that song. And um, and then I guess, uh, well, after that, I just... uh, 
I got, I seem to get grounded a lot. I don't know why. I can't really say. Maybe I missed curfew or something like that. So I was often in my room and I was listening to, at the time, a lot of Bob Dylan and CSNY and a lot of the songwriters, Neil Young and stuff. And I actually had, I had um, got harmonicas when we were maybe around eight. My parents made up something called Daughter's Day because there was Mother's Day and Father's Day. So they made up Daughter's Day and they gave us harmonicas. So I had this harmonica and, and then once I had the guitar, I was probably around 15 and I decided to get a strap for the harmonica and try and be like Bob Dylan, you know, <laughs> so, or, or I guess it was Neil Young more that was playing the, uh, the harmonica. So I, I started doing that and writing songs in my room. And, um, and then I would beg my sister to, to come down with me downtown because she could drive and I couldn't yet. And, uh, and we would go to free times cafe, this folk club down at college. And, uh, and we would, I would perform and I would beg her to come and she would sing harmonies with me occasionally, but she doesn't like performing. She's a great singer herself, but she does voiceovers now. And, uh, but I would sometimes get her to sing with me. So, so that was nice. And I just started doing new songs down there. And I, even though I was actually still terrified, like my leg would be shaking on the bed, like sitting on the chair, but I just kept doing it because I wanted to try out new songs and, and feel what, like, what did people think about it? I don't know. I was just curious to share it. And the response was good. So I kept going and then it became more like exciting to perform for me. And, um, I just kind of always did it. And then in my twenties, um, I, I had come back from university and I started performing a lot when I was at university and I, I entered a talent show there and, and won. And I was performing a lot on campus and stuff. And, uh, but that was in a smaller town that was in London. And so when I came back to the city, it was kind of daunting and overwhelming to be this little fish in a big pond. <laughs> and, uh, but I, I still performed and stuff. And then, um, I don't know where I was going with this. That's <laughs> right. Um, that's part of the concussion problem I have sometimes. That's okay. So you might have read about that, so that's part of it. Uh, <laughs> so I, I just performed and, uh, and no, okay, so when I had my son um, in my late 20s, of course I was busy parenting and stuff, and so I really couldn't perform much, and, you know, life t took a different turn, and and even though it was, I was still writing, I, I wrote a song, I remember called Family Life, and I've never performed it actually, but it, I have so many songs I've never performed that I still would love to record and, and perform, but uh, I started writing for kids because he had asked me to write a song about Aladar when he was about three, and I said, well, Disney's probably going to sue me if I call it Aladar, so I'm going to have to come up with something else, so I started... <laughs> writing kids songs and I wrote a song about this dinosaur that nobody understood and all he wanted was friends and and uh you know it was sort of the moral of the story of you know don't judge a book by its cover and so thus began the kids performing and the kids um cd well I started doing um music groups and things like that and then private birthday parties and things and so it made more sense to have um a product to to offer um, people at that time. So I did the kids CD first. That's sort of how that came about Okay. <laughs> to answer that question. And, and then, uh, you know, after a few years and he got older and I was able to save more money, I did the kid, I did the adult CD, which was really songs of my teenage years, really. I mean, a lot of those are really old songs that I never had a chance to record professionally, although I had done a few of them as a demo. Mm -hmm. And I did actually send it to Sony. I had a contact there. And I got some feedback and somebody at, when I was in university had given me a contact of somebody at EMI, Bonnie Sedbro, I had sent it to her. And uh, so it was, it was kind of interesting, this long journey. And it's still a journey. It's always going to be a journey because really music is who you are and they say that about teaching but it's also the same with music it's just it's who you are and it's it's your it's your whole being and certainly it's helping me even through this challenging time and it helped me through my concussion to just 
have the opportunity to play and get on piano again. I started playing more piano because that actually was my first instrument before I got the guitar. So that's, I don't know if that answered your question oh. in a really roundabout way. No, that was perfect. That's amazing. <laughs> so I just want to touch on a few things there as well as I actually did listen through the Reina's Rainbow Party and actually really did enjoy the clip from your uh, Papa's collection there. And one thing I actually really do want to find out is having done a children's album first where you actually wrote a few of the songs with some of the students and even recorded some of the songs with some of the students singing in the background as well. And then transitioning into your own album of your own full songs. What was recording an album with your students like? And then what was that transition like to your own material that reflected you and less so dinosaurs? Yeah. Well, actually, the kids' CD didn't have students' voices on it. It was actually my son singing on it when he was seven. So... That, to me, is really, really special to have his voice preserved forever, especially when he does the talking on Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star and asking if it's a good take. I, I just love that I have that still. And um, But what I did do was get one of my students who was in grade five at the time, who was an excellent piano player, I got her to do the piano on Tomorrow. So that was a really, I hope, an amazing experience for her and her family. Her her mother came into the studio and, you know, of course, I got all the proper permissions and everything. And it, I, I'm sure that to this day, I mean, she's probably in her 20s now, but I'm sure she'll never forget that experience. And maybe herself is an accomplished musician still. I don't, I don't know. I haven't kept in touch with her, but um, Natalie Yick was the one who played the piano on that. And then transitioning to my adult stuff, well, it was, I don't think it was hard because really that was my passion and that was my beginning. Like the music to me with the kids was just sort of a side thing I did because it was the only way to keep music in my life at that time because I was so busy teaching full-time elementary kids and then raising my son on my own. I didn't really have time to go play at bars or do things like that. So it was it was important for me to keep music in my life and still share it. So, so transitioning to the adult stuff was just very natural because it was always there. It was there before all of it. But I'll tell you something interesting about the, the kids' music. Um, my son also, it, it, I, I played it all on the Yamaha that I got when I was 16. And I, my son had decorated that with stickers one day. He just started putting stickers on it. And so when I would bring that guitar into the schools, the kids would decorate it with stickers. And then it would be covered in stickers. And every year, the kids would try and find a spot where they could put their stickers. And and then uh, one year, I went to go watch uh, the Super Bowl downtown on College Street at a a theater. And my – I had – I think I had just done a kid's party that day. And so I had my – equipment in a car and the car got broken in two and they stole that guitar from me. So I was devastated, of course. And every Super Bowl, I'm reminded about that sticker covered Yamaha and always pining for it. I I called all the pawn shops, nobody found it and it was just gone. And, And even the pawn shop said they would never buy a sticker covered guitar. So I'm so I'm so sad I lost it, but I hope that whoever got it is laughing that they have a sticker-covered guitar. I mean, who knows? They they stole my son's jacket, winter jacket at the time, and other things. So obviously they needed it more than me, but it was more the sentimental value. And and I'll tell you something else that's interesting. When I got that guitar, uh, my I had that really thin case, and I wanted to get a new case for the guitar. So. On my 16th birthday, my parents had a hard shell case on the floor in my living room and said, oh, you know, open it up and see if, if your Yamaha fits in it. And I opened it up, and inside was a beautiful, dark mahogany Takamini. So they gave me this beautiful guitar. I, I remember crying because I just was so happy to have it. So I still have that from my teenage years, and um, 
and a few other guitars that were gifted to me, a 12 string and a, and another Takamini. So I have other guitars to play with as well as an electric and drums and piano and other things that I also play, but nothing will replace that sugar covered guitar, unfortunately. So if anybody out there sees it, it's mine. Okay. So I just want to let your listeners know that. <laughs> Keep your eyes open for a Yamaha. Keep your eyes open. <laughs> covered in stickers. Just absolutely covered. No space left. <laughs> I'm sure there's blue clues on there. All kinds of things. <laughs> <laughs> Might be a couple Pokemon. Who knows? It's got probably a massive collection. Oh, yeah. There for sure was. I'm sure. <laughs> Seriously, though, you guys, if, I mean, if you do happen to see a guitar that's full of stickers, you know, may, maybe give Raina a shout and ha- help her out. I'm sure she would appreciate it very much. Of course, we're going to be jumping into some of the details about Raina's 2012 album, Solstice. We're even going to be playing the first track off of that album for you right away here. The song is entitled Needle in the Hay. Before we go and spin that, before we go and talk about Solstice, before we get more details on headbangers, we need to take a little break to pay a few bills. I mean, you guys know that one of the best ways to support Desert Tiger is over at ilovedtp.com, featuring those new toques and hats, hint, hint, Go and check them out, baby. This show is also brought to you by our wonderful friends on over at Audible. And why are they so wonderful? Well, that's because they are offering you guys one free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership of the Audible service. And literally, they have like the largest selection of audio programs available out there on the internet so you can find all sorts of stuff even if you're looking for something like self-help maybe you're looking to help recover from something and they have all sorts of different materials that are like very highly regarded like the alchemist like can't hurt me by david goggins like the seven habits of highly effective people by stephen covey There's all sorts of different things for you to go and find on Audible. And you can get started with that free audiobook, with that free 30-day trial subscription by heading on over to audibletrial.com slash desert tiger. That's right, audibletrial.com slash desert tiger. It is that easy to get started today. All right, you guys. Let's go ahead and play you the first song off of Solstice. This is a jam and it is entitled Needle in the Hay. Look at the world. Look at the sun. Yeah. 
challenge because I had been writing those songs since I was 16 and performing them and um, the last song on my on on that album you'll come around was written for my son um, I dedicated the kid CD to him he he has Tourette's and ADHD so it was an extra challenge trying to help him through school but also informing my own teaching practice how I can help other students who have those challenges as well and, um, you know, it was, it was a very natural progression for me to, to do my adult stuff. And I'll keep doing it. I have, I've written a lot of songs. And I know the new single, My Beautiful Dear, that you've heard is, is one that's very special as well. Uh, you know, that came, actually, that melody came to me completely in a dream. Although not the whole melody. I only remembered the last two lines when I woke up and quickly recorded it in voice notes before I'd forget it. But you know when you have those dreams that stick with you throughout the whole day, whether they're really weird or really good or really bad, they kind of stick with you. You know that feeling? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like there's some dreams that just disappear immediately and then there's some dreams that you can just remember for like a few days or even years. Yeah, yeah, and that, and there's like a very pervasive feeling, and so when I had this dream of this melody, it was like there was, it looked like Jeff Bridges from the dude standing under a tree, that's the kind of look, it was like this guy with long blonde hair in jeans standing under a tree playing this beautiful guitar, acoustic guitar, singing this melody, and the last two lines of it were, don't you leave me behind, I can't live without you, that was all I remembered. And um, knock on wood, both my parents are still here. And so very lucky and blessed about that. But uh, I woke up that next morning and I, and I knew that I had to write a love song. I knew it was a love song. It was actually crying in my sleep when I heard these, these lines in the melody. And so the only love song I knew to write was one that was successful, which was my parents, you know. So I started writing that song. And in terms of my music, and the, the music in the family, like one of the things that my parents did at that time, instead of story time, sometimes they would do sing song time and they would sing, my dad played guitar. So he would, he would sit out of the bed and he was a great finger picking kind of guitar player. And my mom actually used to sing with Bob Ezrin back in um, the old Yorkville clubs. Bob Ezrin is her cousin, although we don't talk to him anymore or know him, but he produced Pink Floyd and Alice Cooper, you might know. <laughs> so mm-hmm. she she used to sing with him at the folk clubs, and sometimes my dad would join her. So she had a very folksy kind of um, more vibrato voice than, than myself. Uh, but I loved when they would sit at the end of my bed and they would sing. And they would sing All the Diamonds from Bruce Coburn. And they would do it in beautiful harmony. And then occasionally my dad would forget a chord and my mom would be like, dear, <laughs> they would say, come on, you know, and then, but I really remember them singing that song to me. And uh, so as I was writing this love song and sort of telling their story and kind of my story growing up, I, I thought, well, wouldn't it be really cool if I could fit that line in the song, All the Diamonds? And then, lo and behold, it fit perfectly. So then I, uh, I went to record it with my friends in Dundas, Ontario, and one of the engineers is also a photographer. And so when we bounced the, the final recording, right above his stereo was this amazing picture he'd taken of Bruce Coburn at a concert. I was like, wow, that's funny. <laughs> you know? hmm. and, then, and then, you know, I knew that he was coming to Toronto and there was a sold out show 
um, well, there was a show, but I, I, I was like, well, I don't know if I can go. I don't know if, you know, my head will be able to handle it. But I, I decided last minute to, to go, and it was sold out. So I called the Royal Conservatory of Music and said, you know, is there any chance that you can get a lot, I could get a last minute ticket? And they said, well, come at six o'clock. And I got a last minute ticket out of, I got 18 out of the 20 tickets that they, that they had. I, I saw his acoustic show. It was just him, which was nice. It was, you know, much quieter for me, but still hard on my head. But I couldn't believe that I actually got to hear him play that song live. I'd never heard it in my life. So like from him. So it brought a lot of emotions to me as I listened to it because it brought back my childhood and all of that. And then I got to meet him and tell him because I had actually connected um, with his manager, Bernie, to just get permission just to make sure that I could use that line in the song. Mm-hmm. So I, I met him and, and told him, you know, I have this song and it's almost done. And he said, oh, I'm really looking forward to hearing it. Never did I imagine I would actually meet him to tell him, hey, your, your lyric ended up in my song from my childhood. So it was very serendipitous to me and amazing. And, um, and, you know, after he heard it, uh, they responded, yes, you know, good luck with it. And it's a beautiful song. And I, I couldn't ask for anything more. And then ironically, um, again, I, I decided to release it on my birthday because I would never forget the date. <laughs> and then <laughs> on, on my actual birthday, there was, um, a, a, my engineer friend sent me this poster that was uh, an All the Diamonds tribute to Bruce Coburn at the iconic Hughes Room on my birthday, on the actual date. So I was supposed to go to that, and then, you know, everything happened with the pandemic, ruining our birthday plans and the whole thing, and a whole lot of other plans for people. But um, still ironic, all all the serendipitous things that led up to that song. So to me, it's like... It's incredible and just a song that was meant to be and also really important, you know, and positive, a positive thing during my healing through the concussion. So, and, and during that time I wrote about eight other songs that I plan to put on the next album that all kind of, the, the writing process changed a little bit for me during that time because I, I had very limited windows that I could play because I would be too exhausted. Mm-hmm. And like, I remember the first song that I wrote, I literally sat down, started finger picking for two minutes, wrote the music and the words simultaneously, which usually doesn't happen to me. Um, usually the music comes first and then I write the words, but everything was coming all at once, I guess, because I had, had a lot of emotions at the time or just my brain was responding this way. I don't know. Maybe it knew it only had brief moments to get everything out, so it was trying I to. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had gone to a, an educator workshop at the Royal Conservatory about how music affects the brain and learning, and I had learned that, I mean, I already knew this, but there was scientific evidence that people who play music, um, because you're using both parts of your brain, the left and the right hemisphere, you're you're actually strengthening the those wire the wiring between them. So you can actually learn better and faster if you play an instrument. So I knew that, and and actually when I went to go write a song on the piano, because sometimes the guitar was too much for me, and I would feel more soothed by the piano. And then piano started making a lot more sense to me all of a sudden. Like oh, I I didn't know I always played by ear, but when I could play a guitar chord, uh, I would find it on the piano. I'd be like, oh, so that must be a G on the piano. But I didn't, I, di- I didn't make the connections all the time. It just, but it started making more sense and I started writing more on the piano. So I wrote another song on the piano called Parachute, which is really about connecting the wires between your hemispheres. And, and so like all these songs started happening and, um, so that's what I put, plan to put on the next album. And, and I learned that it's really important to play a little bit each day, not only for your brain, but for, for being calm. And certainly it's helping me through, you know, isolation or quarantining. It can be good for anybody. And um, 
there's a ton of research about the therapy and use of music and I can attest to that being true in my own situation. So I know it's helped me with my healing and it's continuing to do that. And you can rewire your brain. And I, I just saw um, an interesting documentary called Tuning the Brain with Music and it was actually all about that. So I know I'm on the right path with that. And I got a lot more songs that I want to share. And I have a lot of other songs I haven't even recorded yet that I want to also put on this next album. But, you know, I'm not going to give it all away at once. So we'll see what makes the cut. But for sure, you know, I want to uh, I want to include a lot of songs from the concussion recovery. And, and I, I was journaling as well and, and showing a lot of, like taking a lot of pictures that day because really some days I couldn't do anything and other days, you know, I would at least try and get out for a walk and I took a lot of pictures and that's also another passion of mine and actually just got recognized in um, Toronto uh, magazine and Toronto.com online for through your lenses, uh, a city shot that I just happened to take at a friend's house. So, uh, I want to include a lot of those pictures in the artistic journal just to document. Um, but I don't, I don't want to make it like a long, it's not going to be a long kind of book about concussions and research and this and that. It's just kind of more an artistic short journal entry with some pictures from the day and perhaps some of the songs if I'd wrote, written a song that day that I want to include with the album. So that is going to be called Headbangers, <laughs> a musical, <laughs> a musical, um, recovery of mild traumatic brain injury and I, I have to say I have to give that credit to the song to the title to Brian Siegel who came up with that he's a very funny guy and someone who I, I do a lot of my music recording with and although I wrote the guitar on My Beautiful Dear he actually did the guitar work uh, the finger picking on that because he's smoother at it than I am sometimes so uh, he's playing on that and he's also on my other CD um, and he did Blueberry Pie on the kids CD so we've been working together for many many years Okay. and Alec Bromke did the recording of um, My Beautiful Dear and the other two albums I did with Jason Greenberg who uh, studied at um, Berkeley and he's I think it's Sonic Bids it's been, not Sonic Bids that's Another one. <laughs> that's, that's the other music <laughs> website. Um, but he has a music library as well, Jason Greenberg. So so I've recorded with some different people, but uh, all people who sort of get what I get when, when I explain things in the studio, because I don't know theory, I'll say, you know, put a little more rah, rah, rah in that, and he gets it, you know? <laughs> like, so it's nice to work with people that understand what you mean and know you well. Very true. Sometimes it's very hard to come up with exactly what the true proper term for what the exact sound or effect you want is. And it's just, no, I just want this. And having that proper team that can recognize and like also hear where you're going with it is a fantastic, fantastic way to make your music. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if you listen to pretty much all the recordings. There's not a ton of production, and I kind of liked it simplified like that. Uh, I did help with the production on both, on all the albums. I did help produce it, but, like, I, I would know, okay, I want to add some keys here, or let's make the bass a little more funky on that tune, or, you know, things like that. But uh, I didn't want to take away from from the actual vocals and the lyrics, because to me, it's all about that as a songwriter. I mean, that's why I loved CSNY and I love the harmonies and James Taylor and Cat Stevens. I grew up with all of that. And, and so that was a big, I'm sure an influence on my writing. And, and then I like blues and, you know, Bonnie Raitt and other things that maybe I, I can't always play, but somehow they end up in there. So I get a little bit more of the rock style from that. Like, Floyd and Jimi Hendrix and Leonard Skinnerd and Guess Who and all those kinds of bands that I also listen to. It's really hard to say there's not one influence ever, I don't think, for any artist, really. Oh, there shouldn't ever just be one <laughs> different influence, you know? It's a pool yeah. that you draw from. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I love all music. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Oh, that's good. I actually kind of, uh, speaking about My Beautiful Deer, I love how raw it actually is because it helps add to the uh, power of the lyrics of the song. Like, it, it is a powerful song. It hits home. Oh, thanks. Well, you know, it was when I wrote it, I, I honestly couldn't stop crying. I mean, I, I, I couldn't even sing it without crying. I went to record it in the studio. We did a, a dry run through before we hit record and I burst into tears and everybody in the studio was like, Oh, Oh, we didn't expect that. (laughs) And part of that is the concussion. And part of it is, you know, sometimes as a songwriter, when you write something that is so beautiful that you feel moved by it, I mean, And I played it for my sister and my sister cried and I knew it was a good song then (laughs) because if my sister cried (laughs) and my parents, you know, my parents, I I was scared actually to share it with them at the beginning because, you know, one of them dies at the end and I was like, Oh, I don't know if I should share this song with them. (laughs) And uh, when they heard it, um, I think my, my, my dad said, she wrote one of us off. And my mom says, well, well, we're going to die one day, dear. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like totally relieved that they liked it. And, um, you know, they've been a very critical sounding year for my music. And I think they really, they really liked this song because it's quieter music. They don't particularly like my, my folk rock. They don't like the rock part. <laughs> too loud for them or you know they're they're in their 70s and I understand that so it's just not their style so it was really nice to hear that they liked this style and I think this song is even a little bit different than my usual folk rock stuff because yeah a lot of my other songs are more upbeat and and harder and faster tempo and things like that so this was a really profound song for me I think and uh and I was just and actually the reason it ended up getting recorded first was because when I reached out to Bernie to ask if it was okay if I used that line they said well we want to hear the song so then I was like okay guys they want to hear it we have to record it now <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of how that happened I, it was all to me, very much divine intervention of some kind. I I have a face of a higher being, but I never had more faith than now through this experience. And not just the song, but my healing journey and everything. And so I, I do have faith that, um, that the world will overcome what's going on right now, too. I, I have faith of this as well. And it, and it will be better. <laughs> I truly hope it will be better as well i hope people will learn from this experience and it will make them kinder to their fellow being yeah yeah i mean i i've had this hard stop since april so this whole stay at home thing has been something i've been doing for a long time already so when you when you do have to stop your life and you're no longer a teacher and you're no longer a musician and you you just have to like concentrate on healing or or like everybody else right now, just being at home and being safe, um, it does make you question or analyze or reflect on your life and what is important. And, and yeah, like I, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's, you know, had people reach out to them from the past and I've reached out to people and friendships from the past. And then you think, well, why didn't we video chat before? We could have done that before. But, but it makes you think about what's important to you in your life, who's important, um, in your life. And, and I think I've seen, you know, we're seeing a lot of people being kinder to other people. Um, and I think we need to continue to do that and, and also stand strong in our, our freedoms too, you know, to make sure that those are preserved. Very, very true. (laughs) I think it, you know, uh, in a way I've been blessed that I had, the experience before of the hard stop because it's really helped me now to continue to be on my own and to to be reflective of what's going on in the world and also you know I have to be careful not to be watching news all the time because 
anxiety can be high for everybody right now, but when you're in concussion recovery, it's a little higher. And uh, I've learned to do yoga as part of my practice. I actually just finished it before you called. And, you know, to make sure I get out for nature walks and and do music every day of some kind, playing or, you know, whether it's guitar or piano or singing. I'm definitely singing every day. Sound vibrations are very important, too. <laughs> very, very true. There are a ton of different ways that people can use to help with their therapy, to help them escape a lot of the uh, panic mindset that seems to be conquering a lot of just not media, but also social media at the moment. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of a lot of things going around. A lot of it, it it's hard to discern whether it's real or not. And, um, and that goes with the news too, you know, there's a lot of fear mongering going on and, and you kind of wonder what the bigger picture is with this. Um, I don't know that we've experienced a pandemic though, of course, and, and of course the virus exists, but we also have to think about maybe the bigger picture of what's going on. Very true. And I don't know that we'll, I don't know we'll ever know the truth, to be honest, but, but, you know, we've got to be safe and keep our loved ones safe and, and continue to do that. So. Exactly. Do our best to be our best and make sure that the people around us are staying happy and healthy as well. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's, um, it's not worthwhile to shame people. I've seen that going around a lot too and like some people's comments and that's just, that's negative energy that really doesn't need to happen. Very true. I keep seeing that sometimes, you know, or I see people saying, oh, I went for a walk for just 15 minutes and I didn't look at anybody or talk to anybody. You're allowed to look at people. You're allowed to talk to people. Like, let's not forget humanity here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Exactly. There's nothing stopping you from waving at your neighbor from the doorway or saying hi. Exactly. Yeah, keep your distance and and can still say hello to people. Exactly. (laughs) In fact, I've seen probably a lot more people in my neighborhood than I've ever seen because everyone is usually so busy working that people aren't out. I, I am seeing people out, but everyone's keeping their distance. And luckily where I live, it's not a problem to keep distance. It's not, you know, a big city that's really populated, so it's it's a bit easier in that regard. But um, it's nice to see community out. Very true, and I think it's also <laughs> making people appreciate their time a little bit more as well. Yes, definitely. Yeah. All right, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Raina. Thank you so much for having me, and I... I wish you and your family all the best and um, keep getting connections out to people who need it so they can stay connected too because it must be terribly isolating without that. I I agree and I hope that you and your family <laughs> and your loved ones can also stay happy and healthy and that you can all stay connected as well. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs>
songs that you heard on today's episode of the Desert Tiger podcast were Raina Krangle's latest single, My Beautiful Deer. We also played Needle in the Hay, and the song that you guys just heard is entitled Customer Service, and we decided to spin that one for all of you essential workers that are out there working hard. Those of you who are inside grocery stores who are helping provide food, the truckers, all those people who are maybe dealing with some of those people who don't understand the respect that some of you deserve right now for all of the hard work that you are putting in. So I want to thank you guys, the essential workers. I definitely want to go ahead and give a big old roaring desert tiger thank you to Raina Krangle for joining me on today's episode of the podcast. And I have to go ahead and thank Eric Alper for going ahead and setting this interview up. So a big old shout out to EA. And I also have to thank you guys, the listeners of this podcast, for tuning in once again. If you're new, maybe you enjoyed what you heard today and maybe you want to hit the subscribe button. Maybe, maybe you want to go ahead and leave a five-star review for the podcast on either Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. Or maybe you even want to go ahead and share this episode on your social media. If you did, I would be ecstatic if you decided to tag me, the Colton G, the Desert Tiger Podcast, or Raina Krangle in that post so that we can show you the proper love for, well, Showing us some love. Yes. Yes. Next week on the show, I think we're actually going to be pulling a double header. So I don't want to go ahead and tell you too much about that yet. So next Friday, I think that you guys can expect two episodes. So I think that is enough to get you excited for next Friday from Desert Tiger. So yeah, that's what's going down next week two separate interviews with two incredibly talented musicians, two very talented groups. Yeah, so that's what's going down. Until then, stay happy, stay healthy, stay as safe as you guys possibly can. It's It can be a little bit of a crazy world out there, so until we can get back into each other's presence we can shake each other's hands and we can give each other big old hugs. Until then, I hope that you guys truly do take care. And until next week, bye-bye. Yeah.